0: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me
1: you killed him. No. I am your father. Search your feelings, you know it to be true.
0: There, and welcome to Pivotal Film, I am Tom Nolan And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 59 59 Yeah, 10 away from nice Because it's 69, to nice
2: Yeah, we already and did
0: 69 We did, I know And also it is, uh, 361 away from also nice Because that'd be 420 Yeah Yeah mm. Speaking of nice Today, we are drinking the beer this is this is the there one. It needs no introduction. 6.2% the flagship of sorry guys I just ate some spicy nachos and my nose is a little clogged right now. This flagship of New England Brewing Company starring a little scary lady there in the front clawing at you demanding you drink this delicious west coast style IPA. One of the few West Coast-style IPAs left in existence. What is it, Mario? I know. It is 6.2%. It feels like it's more than 62 It does. That's what's great about it. It is <laughs> Sea Hag. It's the Sea Hag. One of the first craft-brewed IPAs ever in a can. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. You got yeah. a variation of malts. You know a light nice hot balance. I mean here's what I'll say
2: too about Sea Hag is that it's very um oh. prevalent in the area. A lot of bars carry it on tap. Um, you can get it at wherever they sell beer in Connecticut generally. I'm
0: guessing this cost you nine ninety nine for a six pack. Mm hmm. Nine ninety nine for no, a six No, maybe p- t- maybe ten. It's maybe ten ninety nine. It's been a little too much. Maybe ten. Some places sell six packs of Sea Hag for eight ninety nine. There you go. You can get a 16 ounce pour of Sea Hag almost anywhere for six dollars, if not five dollars, mm-hmm. and it will never, ever, unless the tap skunked, let you down. No, Sea Hag is the best beer I've ever had, and I, I'm not even gonna like review why it's great. It's just if you like hoppy beers that aren't like Huckery lip hoppy, but are so balanced by a nice even malt, but that when you finish it you still you still know you're drinking an IPA. Sea mm-hmm. Hag is the beer. It's yes. a malt front, hop back. You you start with that malty like a little malty sweetness, you end with that hoppiness mm. of an IPA. I
2: went into a restaurant last Saturday in Hartford and they gave me a beer that was not the beer I asked for and it was a wheat beer. It was disgusting. And then I asked for another beer, and they said, "Well, that beer is this kind of beer." And I said, Ugh, "I don't really want that beer." And then I looked at the the, the list of beers they had, and I was like, "You know what? Just give me a Sea Hag." Were you disappointed? No, because I was like, "I know this is going to be good." You know, what I mean, I'm not gonna try. I I tried one beer, and it was disgusting. The other beer I wanted to try, they didn't have, and so I was just like, "You know what? Sea Hag me," because I know I'm gonna be satisfied. I know I'm gonna be happy that I just drank this beer.
0: I will say Sea Hag Which ultimately all I'm looking for. I will say Sea Hag is a slight problem for me. Some days I wanna have an easy drinking day where I don't want to think about drinking. And especially kickball Sundays. Uh kickball New Haven is a We
2: we've been out on a nice number of occasions where day. you've been like We've gone to Archie Moore's and you've been like, oh, I'm not going to drink that much tonight. You've been like, can I have a sea hag? And then we end up having three more sea hags and like something light just to
0: polish it off before we have to go home. The problem with sea hag is I could. Pu- like, usually I don't drink heavily. But mm-hmm. when it comes to this. <laughs> you've been out with me where I've had like a road to ruin and that's it. Right. And then like iced yeah. teas. Sure, sure, sure. But like, when I, when I start the night with a sea hag, the night is. It's going no. bad. That's where we started our double episode with the counterweight headway. Yeah, because I would have been having us make a beer run before a nacho uh, <laughs> foyer in between episodes if we had service. I would ask to get. I would have said we should get more sea hags. Let's do some sea hags. Yeah, before with with our nachos. Yeah.
2: All right. Before we talk about um, the radioactive, you know, Japanese elephant in the room, um, I just wanted to mention a. Documentary that I went to see, over or on Tuesday. I don't really know how to transition into this um, because we didn't dis- we didn't discuss this ahead of time. Um, apparently, for the last couple of weeks, it's been the New Haven Documentary Film Festival, and
1: uh,
0: like I said, it's apparently been we should be on the we should be on the pulse of this. We should
2: be on this, and I actually did. I actually, I actually
0: knew it was coming up. I just never go to this because Pizza a Love Story. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's a, a labor of hey, love, Gorn, but I Gorn don't.
2: Bichard was at this event that I was at, but I
0: don't have a proclivity to go see such a film. And I don't think it's going to really right. impact me or, I mean, or touch is... me in ways I won't ever imagine.
2: I think the only re- reason I'm going to mention that this, you know, for, for this week's episode is that um, if, when this drops on Saturday, you still have two more days of the event wow. to, um, to check out some of this stuff. So, you know, the main event this year is Michael Moore. Michael Moore is showing all of his
0: films. He's doing, you know,
2: Q&As before or after. Who's, who's
0: he fighting? All of them. It's the main event, right? Yeah, he's is he, a, fading, is he, he, he fighting, fighting himself? Is he fighting John Moxley? I mean, he's hot in the indie scene now. Who's <laughs> John Moxley? It's a former Dean Ambrose wrestling oh, yeah, comic.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I listened to a whole podcast about that guy the other
0: day. Um, so I went to see... Did you listen to Talk is Jericho? No. Uh,
2: uh, but they were talking about, apparently, a podcast that he did with Chris Jericho. Talk, so. But
0: just Talk is Jericho. Yeah, there you go.
2: Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mario is not leaving. Um, so the movie I went to see is called Waiting. Yeah. Feel so winter
1: The first band that we did together, I think, was Van and Chris Bell and then Jody Stevens. It was as great as I thought it was going to be. It was just a a killer record. Van had a spark that made me follow him. Buddy, please, just, you know, don't forget me, man, you know, because I knew he was going to be a big famous guy. I just, I knew it. Some people don't want to really be the big fish. Rock and roll can kill you, too, you know.
2: It is uh, the Van Duren story. Uh, Van Duren was a singer-songwriter, you know, kind of a cross between Todd Rundgren and Paul McCartney, uh, who had one album of any real significance. um, It's called Are You Serious? It came out in 1978. Um, It was actually recorded in uh, Wallingford, Connecticut, which is kind of funny.
0: but the Great Town of Wallingford. The Great
2: Town of Wallingford. Um, it was directed by these two guys, Greg Carey and Wade Jackson. They're Australian. Um, they had never made a... Not movie. from Wallingford? Not from Wallingford. They actually were very creeped out by much of Wallingford. and it's in the. How,
0: how would you be creeped out mm-hmm. by Wallingford? What is there to... It's to you creep... Know, the it's boredom like, of Wallingford it's would a creep long, me out. I don't
2: really want to go into like, the plot
0: of this movie. Is it, is it the Dairy Queen? The Ch- Dairy Queen's kind of weird. It's Chope. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they didn't like Chope. Oh, we forgot to mention, th- we have a special guest for this A-Block. It's the often referred to JP. It's Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so just uh, real quick. just. To Wallingford
0: you... does have an Archie Moore's, though. Wallingford does have an Archie Moore's. I've never had their, their not- buffalo chicken nachos.
2: I'm pretty sure they're probably the same as the buffalo Out. chicken nachos and all the Archie Moore's. How dare you? They are. Yeah, I can't imagine they're that
0: much different. Maybe the Derby Archie Moores
2: is different because it just tastes like Derby. Um, oh, God. But yeah, so these two guys, I mean, again, I'm mentioning it because if you're interested in going to New Haven um, Documentary Film Festival, there's still two more days of it when you hear it. Um, this documentary in particular, though, was not a very good movie. It unfortunately stars the guys that make it. I don't know why the, the guy's got a
0: Morgan Spurlock thing going on
2: I think, but I don't think they did it because they were trying to do something like that they weren't making like a, a, a narrative point it was just the way that the movie ended up They're just you know like I mean? oh, no I, I guess
0: a, I guess there's got to be some sort of expositional strain to this I a, guess we're the only people that care yeah, about well, it
2: that's, so the guy um, Van Duren was you know he was there it was the first time he's played Connecticut in probably 30 years um, I don't know if it's um, it was the first time he played Connecticut in like thirty years. Um, he had his original band that he was uh that he was touring, like uh, the second album he worked on. Um, all these old guys were there playing and it was the after show was really cool. Um the problem was that like during the the actual documentary featured almost none of these people in it. I mean it featured them, but they weren't saying anything of any great consequence. They weren't really making the point that this documentary was worth making. I think we've entered a kind of realm here with these rock docs. And JP, you can speak to this probably maybe a little better than, than Mario can. As well, not, how dare you? As not I watch
0: all the rock docs. Like, <laughs> I watched Beyond the Mat.
2: That's not a rock doc.
0: It has the rock in it.
2: It does have the rock in it. I saw Beyond the Mat too though. Um, we're getting into these things where like any artist that people don't actively hear about all the time is now getting like a documentary. And people are saying, like, well, I discovered this guy. It's like, well, maybe it's not a big deal.
1: I'm always digging for music. I've never heard of this guy. Right. Like, is there an Emmett Rhodes documentary?
2: There isn't an Emmett Rhodes documentary. I'm sure someone is going to make an Emmett Rhodes I mean, haven't things kind of, like, exploded since,
0: like, Devil and Daniel Johnston?
2: Well, but Devil and Daniel
0: Johnston was not just about the fact that he was missing. Well,
2: and the Sugarman movie. And the Sugarman. Mm. And Anvil. Anvil was just like that, too. Remember the
1: Anvil movie? I didn't see.
0: It. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I didn't
2: see so it. So Anvil was like a heavy metal band that you know was big, I guess, or like did a bunch of stuff, and then they disappeared. And you know, people brought Anvil back. Oh, Anvil's great! Remember Anvil? And people, were, all of a sudden, people were just like, "Yeah, I remember Anvil. He was really good," um, or they were really good. But this Van Duren record is a really good record. But I don't know if the universe was ready or needed. Like this Van Duren documentary, because all that happens in the documentary is that there's like a squabble. There's a weird Scientology plays like a major role in this movie. Good, <laughs> which is just really strange. Um, but there was like an about art. it's like exploding. It benefits. can only help. Yeah, well, that's it, it. Really did because the movie was really not interesting for a while. And it was like, why was we watching this? And then they just developed this. Why weird, was we watching this? Why was why is we is watching this? Um... Then they developed they, the Scientology strain because apparently the guy that owned Trognossel for a really long time was a big Scientologist. What's Tro what's Trognossel? Trognossel is a studio in Wallingford. Okay. Um, where they music was, music Yeah, recording where, they, where they recorded this thing. And apparently the guy that owned it was a big Scientologist. And the one of the guys that owned a record label with that guy said the reason that the record label went under is because they were like had to give all this
0: money to Scientology. And then the whole Listen, man. You know, your music's not gonna be good if your thetan levels are too high. <laughs> Dark Lord Zini will come down, See, go sure, back into a volcano. I'm sure, man,
2: that's not true, though, because this guy's Thetan levels were probably off the fucking charts. Um, but it just
0: Maybe looked, going clear means you go more neurotic.
2: But they were saying... So the documentary filmmakers were saying, essentially, like, oh, this guy disappeared off the face of the earth. The guy didn't disappear off the face of the earth. He's just living his life in Memphis. You know what I mean? And he's put out, independently, a bunch of records that you can now get via Bandcamp. And, um... He's, you know, playing shows with this woman who was also at the the, the concert and who can sing the shit out of stuff. Um, it's cool, I guess, that they've kind of pushed him back into people's consciousness, but was he missing, you know what I mean? Like, were we all sitting around just really bummed that we didn't get all the Van Duren that we should have? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of... At my, at the end of my rope with these these rock ducks like this like this, the Sugarman one too is like yeah I don't know who this guy is and I still I'm not
1: all that concerned
2: about about Sugarman
1: right well I checked out this guy's Van Duren's music and I I, I wasn't impressed overly still. yeah i mean i think because he's from memphis and he recorded
2: some stuff at Arden, people are and he worked with exactly Bell. exactly they were, they were like oh he's and jody stevens too they're like oh he's a big star guy it's like yeah but big star was transcendent this guy's merely very good Right. um but yeah that's so that's from the new haven documentary film festival like i said um when you hear this on we're recording this on thursday when you hear it On Saturday, there's still two more days if you live in the area. Um, All the events... And
0: if you don't, you can fly.
2: You can fly. Well, all the (laughs) events are free, so you won't have to spend... You can take the money you would spend on movie tickets. Into Tweed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there's a direct... If there's, like, a Tweed (laughs) discount for going, like, a (laughs) red-eyed documentary film festival. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, so Michael Moore will be here all All weekend just being angry about stuff and... um... I don't know, maybe maybe some of our Senators will be there also, just cheering them on. Just, Wouldn't that be good?
0: I mean, I'm sure, yeah, you know. Speaking, we'll, of, speaking of... We'll get Richard Blumenthal. Richard Blumenthal's everywhere. He's definitely going to be there. I but, mean, you know, Chris Chris Murphy's busy probably hiking across Connecticut again.
2: Yeah, but solving a lot of problems while he's doing it, I bet. Probably. Um, speaking of uh, Solving huge, no problems. Or and, huge things coming into cities and destroying them. <laughs> You know, I think
0: it's. A- oh, we're still talking about Michael Moore?
2: <laughs> it was, it was a vague um, illusion, yeah. Sh-
0: Godzilla King of the Monsters! How many of these things are there? 17 and counting. That's messed up.
1: <laughs> Mothra. Rodan. Ghidorah. Oh, my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. We stop this Ghidorah, we stop them all.
0: Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? the follow-up to the 2014 Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed the best Star Wars, mo- Star Wars movie and then disappeared. What Star Wars? He directed Rogue One, which is the best Star Wars movie.
2: Oh yeah, he did direct Rogue One. I keep forgetting someone directed
0: Rogue One. Because Rogue One was good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it's, it's actually a good movie. Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, co-written and directed by Michael Doherty, the mind behind the criminally underseen holiday horror film's Trick or Treat and Krampus is a film where the world has been dealing with the aftermath of the kaiju attack of the Mutus and Godzilla in San Francisco, leaving it a disaster zone. The U.S. government is now overlooking and, you know, putting the hammer down on Marnock, saying how they should eliminate this kaiju, giant monster threat, um, while Monarch attempts to research the kaiju around the world. At the same time, Alan Jonah, played by Charles Dance, doing his best bored Tywin Lannister, not his career <laughs> best Benedict from Listen, Last Action were, Hero. If,
2: if your title was eco-terrorist, you would be bored also.
0: That's very fair. Uh, takes control of the Orca, which is a some sort of MacGuffin created by Emma Russell, played by a uh, Vera Farmiga, who just keeps playing in movies that she shouldn't be in, and uh, Kyle Chandler, it's Mark Russell, who keeps playing in movies he really should be in. Uh, the orca has the ability to communicate with these kaiju and control them in a way. And after Jonah takes control of these, uh, this orca, he is able to communicate. With these monsters unleashing them, especially King Ghidorah, the only alpha who can challenge Godzilla. What's there to say about Godzilla King of the Monsters? What I can say about it, it is the first movie I've ever watched. No, not the first movie. The first movie I saw in theaters. Where while I was watching it, somehow I kept forgetting what movie I was watching. (laughs) And I forgot what was happening in scenes prior. It is... Fine. What kind of fine Fine. are you talking about? It is fine in the sense that if you want giant monsters battling each other and having massive collateral damage, that in the end of the film, upon completely destroying Boston, Massachusetts, feels really small scale, as though it's two small children action figures Mm -hmm. attacking a miniature model. Uh Um, If you want that from your film, it's fine if what you want from your film is some sort of cohesive narrative, uh, even with weak human characters, which I would expect from this film, um, a script that is threadbare but follows some sort of logical constant, you know, this wouldn't be fine. This would be forgettable because you keep burning from your mind the things you're hearing because the things you're hearing, these characters say, the things you're seeing these actors actually try to act, which is scary. At some point, some of these people are
1: trying. Well,
2: someone needed to, at some point, step in and tell Kyle Chandler to fucking stop. Yeah. Like, I don't know what movie you think you're in, Kyle Chandler, but it's enough.
1: The guy seems... Like, he's only suited for, like, a 70s television show.
2: Which I think, I mean, Friday he's, Night Lights. Yeah, no, I was going to say, he's that.
1: suited for Friday Night Lights.
2: Or Early Edition. Remember Early Edition?
1: Early
0: Edition was pretty good.
2: He got the newspaper The early. Chicago Sun. He, all... he,
0: he would get the Chicago Sun Times a day early. There's actually a really good episode of uh, Early Edition yep. where uh, there's a plane crash that kills, like, 100 people. And on the same exact time, I think there's some sort of, like, woman is getting hit by, like, a, a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that part's kind of shaky. And he keeps trying to save the, the plane crash, um, but then realizes that he can't. Like, it's too large of a scope, so he, to, he can only save the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a seven-year-old boy, this is a pretty, pretty remarkable sort of uh, existential sort of uh, declaration. Good job, early edition. So what seven... you, made, you made Mario <laughs> get get a second layer to the onion. What would a uh, seven-year-old
2: Mario have done? Save the plane or the woman?
0: Neither. He would have looked at like the sports bets for the next day and told his parents how to bet, and then just made money off of it. Nice. Um, is, that, is that it? You got anything else? You want I with? don't. What is there? What's there to say about this movie? I will say this: mm-hmm. going into it, I expected a lot of fights to be really heavily covered in a cloud of fog. And it kind of is. Kind of is, but it's a lot. You get less. a lot. But the problem therein lies. That Ghidorah looks like fucking garbage.
2: Well, there's those couple of scenes where Ghidorah is on top of
0: something or they've shown oh Ghidorah my God. from like far away. You mean where the three headed demon yeah. is suddenly on top of a mountain of lava that looks like a hellscape and then there's a giant Christian cross in the foreground. <laughs> you mean that nice little bit of like the red dragon yeah, imagery? I love how they have, like, the, was, is that the red, is that what the art, the, the painting's called? Yeah, the Red Blake, Dragon? Blake, yeah. The William yeah. Blake Red Dragon? Like, they keep showing it, going, hey, guys. Well, and that's, that's my big problem with this movie, is this movie really takes itself seriously for what is, in essence, a remake of Destroy All Monsters. All right, so here's the Which thing. has not taken itself seriously. I mean, Destroy All Monsters is literally about destroying all monsters.
2: I, <sighs> I mean, was there anybody in the theater when you saw it?
0: It was, it, was, it was a decent crowd. What about you,
2: JP? Was there, like, UC-Pack Theater?
1: It was a third to a half full.
0: This movie pretty well performed, like, made $49 oh, yeah, yeah. million. Dollars. I mean, it's going to do well internationally, which is what they expect.
1: Did, um, were
2: people into it, like, when you were watching it? Because, and that was my whole thing, too. I
0: saw it with them. They were into the Joker trailer. I couldn't tell. People are really hyped about that Joker movie. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I don't get that. Either. Don't, well, it's Todd Phillips is directing that, people. Ton Phillips. I
2: just don't know what the movie is supposed to be about. Like, I know what it's supposed to be about, but I don't. I still don't understand what it's supposed to be about. It's
0: got Zazzy Beats, so I'm okay um,
2: with it. Everyone in the theater seemed really bored. And even when, like, the monster fights were happening, they, they went into it expecting lots of monster fights, and they got all the monster fights that they were, like, given clips of in the trailers, and then other things, and then the movie was over. Yeah, the problem and with you're the- just kind of like, well, what? Like, why... What was supposed to have happened here?
0: Yeah, the problem with this is there's, like, no sense of, of scale. Like, I think the original Godzilla, the Gareth Edwards Godzilla, has, has like, a really strong grasp of scale. Like but they only have seven minutes of Godzilla. I'm fine with that, though. But, like, because, like, building up this kind of massed image of Godzilla is fine to me. And I think he does a lot better job of kind of, like... I mean, for as, be- like, not great as the 2014 Godzilla is, like, when Godzilla and the Mutos, like, fuck shit up, it feels like shit's getting fucked up. That, um, Halo jump scene is fucking awesome in the original Godzilla. Like, it's fun. And, like, like the entire, like, clouded in, they go through the clouds, and all of like, the city on fire is cool-looking. And, like, when Godzilla's fighting a giant, like, the Mutos, it feels like there's a giant fight going on. The problem with this during the final battle where you have Mothra... Fighting Rodan, who I will give this Rodan's character design is really good.
1: But it's too big. Like, yeah, they couldn't put yeah, it I all on fair. the screen. I didn't like Rodan. I thought Mothra looked great, but I thought
2: Mothra looked cool. But is
1: Mothra, so? Well, is Rodan,
0: Mothra Rodan dead? No, so Mothra will. If you're going by the Toho mythology, Mothra constantly dies and is reborn. Has Mothra? Mothra is like okay, an, is like an immortal sort of being that is constantly being reborn. Well, why
2: wouldn't they? Ad- why wouldn't they address that? Because like when you're watching it, you just see um, Ghidorah like spit lightning at her, and she just kind of gets engulfed in flames, and then she doesn't
0: show up for the whole rest of the movie.
2: Yeah, and they don't you don't see like a dead body or anything like that. She just like is. I got is the scared.
0: sense she she got like eviscerate, like just torched, like uh... okay.
2: That seems weird. She seems necessary.
0: And then she just is kind of like, oh. Well, I think the problem. about
2: keeping balance. It's like, why
0: wouldn't you need. The problem that with other- this movie is there's a lot of allusions to the Toho kind of ideas. Uh-huh. Like, a lot of the um, monarch sites, the numbers next to them correspond to the numbers of. Um, like the years that those certain like the monsters, those particular monsters came into the films. Uh-huh. Um, the one thing I do like is site uh, site uh, in Antarctica for Monster Zero's Thirty One, which is Outpost Thirty One from The Thing. I found that mm-hmm. fun. You think that's what
1: it was in reference I, to? I think so. That's a little fun, but it was probably th- just accidental coincidence. <laughs>
0: you think so? I think I think like they some idiot goes like, "Ah, that's fun." But yeah, like yeah. I think there's a lot of like the fact that like, uh, you know, um, Zhang he's playing twins, which they which, never tell you she's playing you twin characters. You just
2: told me that, and I couldn't even believe it because I had that question when I was watching it. Like all of a sudden, she's in a completely different location. She goes from settled in and doing. So. Yeah, she it like, goes from
0: that. I can't even remember the plane's name but Argo? the the Argo from the uh, what is that what the hell is that the type of plane called? I don't know. Stealth bomber. Stealth bomber. Like goes from that giant stealth bomber. The which impossibly can tra- travel the speed of light. The also impossibly big. Like the inside of that's like it's a really big stealth bomber which has an airplane flying. hangar inside yeah. it. Yeah. like multiple airplanes. And like a gigantic command center and like probably like a mess deck. Um but you, you think she's going from the Argo to like the, the, the Mothra site, and it's like, no, those are two different people. I,
2: Which you know, they never explained.
0: Zhang Zihi didn't be like, oh, Joe Morton's in this movie? i got to get next to that, bro. Which, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, if here, Joe Morton's in your movie, you want to be next to Joe Morton. But
2: I didn't, Joe Morton wasn't in the movie until he was in the movie, and then he
0: wasn't in the movie anymore. That's <laughs> Joe Morton impersonation ever. From Terminator 2! Best scene in Terminator 2. Yeah,
2: could we talk about Terminator for a second? Did you see the Terminator previews at the at,
0: I fucking uh, unfortunately yeah, I I did. How Dark fate?
2: How does or yeah?
0: Timelines don't matter in no, the No, no, no.
2: Like, how is it that like the special effects are getting worse? No, is no, Terminator movies? Like, listen, how is this possible?
0: Listen, Tom. <laughs> producer James Cameron returns. Returns,
2: yeah. But apparently he let this like no name actor play like the Terminator. Or like you know whatever he is, and um, the special effects look <laughs> special well, effects are terrible.
1: And what was the movie recently where the CGI just looked lazy and is that the glitchy? Salvation movie? The no, Christy I Bale think one? you had talked about it once. Genesis uh, or oh maybe Genesis. Just oh, uh, which mo- which movie in is it? The past year, or so just just in general, CGI mm. is getting kind of lazy and I mean, it depends. Yeah, it depends co- on the more clearly bad. Well, oh, the Hellboy
0: movie was had terrible CGI. That, that's,
1: that's it. That's <laughs> it, that's it that's... Well, Hellboy,
0: so, Hellboy exists on islands. On so, this is the thing,
2: so this movie... But
0: to give Terminator Dark Fate really credit, it's got Mackenzie Davis.
2: Yeah, but... The, is that... that a girl or a guy?
0: That, that's, that's the main, like, kind of Terminator hero.
2: Oh, the why are you here to but Sarah Connors. You look so human. I am human. So, yeah, I can see this. I can see the mesh inside your skin. That means you're not human. You can see it, too. Um, My problem with this movie is... Is it the hot take? No, no, I'm not at the hot take yet. The hot hot take is for fun. I don't understand what... So, we talked about... You already said that Kyle Chandler was in a totally different movie. You know what I mean? He was in a a serious drama. I think he thought this was a Holocaust movie or something. I mean, Millie Bobby
0: Brown was also kind of like... Millie Bobby Brown was... I think Billy Bobby Brown was really good. Yeah, I think because she was she's smart.
2: She's a fucking kid. So she should feel like.
0: Weird but at the and same scared, time. But terrifying. also. But at the same time, the thing I found interesting about her performance was she was still, like, doing a slightly hammy series.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I kind of felt that way, too, about, like, um, Sally Hawkins a little bit.
0: <laughs> Sally mm-hmm. Hawkins. Like, who who immediately finds a way to get out of these movies. Well, she just gets <laughs> stepped on, which I thought was very good. No, kill, she gets eaten. Kill me off. Please. No,
2: did she get. I thought she got
0: it, stepped no, on. No, I thought she got stepped on. Ghidorah picks up the. Thing of ice and eats it. Oh, thought, oh, okay. Watch yeah, your person. watch your Godzilla movies. She wasn't paying that. Much also, attention. I don't know why Ghidorah's just eating ice. He's like, I need to eat this ice.
2: Um. So my other thing. So uh, Ghidorah. So Ghidorah,
0: Shape of Water was like, oh, she's into this. Shouldn't have been. She should, should have been Phantom Thread.
2: Um. There's no, there's no consistency of tone here. Like, what is Bradley Whitford? <laughs> What is Bradley Whitford doing through the whole movie? Well, the problem with why this... Why is Thomas Middleditch in this movie? He's just like, oh, uh, Paycheck. But, but why did they write a character for Thomas Middleditch? Well, like, the, problem,
0: the problem with this, too, is, like, Doherty said on that, like, Whitford Stanton character, he's like, oh, it's kind of modeled after, like, Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. And it's like, for one thing, what the fuck are you doing? Don't model anything off of Rick and goddamn Morty.
2: But even if you're kind of, and the why second are you thing, like, doing that in this movie? And yeah. Why are you doing that when the guy he's talking to in Kyle Chandler literally looks like he's going to cry through the whole movie? Like, <laughs> like even Even
0: when he's, like, seeing, like, deer get eaten by wolves, Kyle Chandler's like, I got some shit. I used to drink pretty heavily when that little boy died. What? <laughs> My little boy died.
2: And so, like, Vera Farmiga decides she's going to essentially ruin O'Shea them. Jackson just said home. You are... Screaming! i oh, sorry. <laughs> There's a big, huge <laughs> blue bulge in the thing. That's what she said. Yeah, that
0: is what she said. Look,
2: the, the Farmiga explanation for why she's doing it is complete fucking nonsense. Oh, she's sad that her son died, so she's gonna unleash all the titans on Earth.
0: See, this to is cleanse the world of whatever. And this this is actually know. a big issue for me. Like in terms of being a big. Godzilla kind of nerd and, like, the kaiju kind of nerd I am. We've talked about this with Pacific Rim before, how much of a giant monster movie fan I am. That entire Vera Fumiga speech, where she tries to, like, delve into the environmental impact of it. What really pisses me off about that is, um... Like, two, three years ago, we have Shin Godzilla, which is an exceptional exceptional like Godzilla film. Um that's just basically an indictment of the the Fukushima like meltdown and like just basically the government's response cuz it like Shin Godzilla is just about the government's inability to deal with a giant monster.
2: I want to take your word for it cuz I don't know what that is.
0: Um it's 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 directed by uh, Hideki Anno who did the uh, like End of Evangelion which is kind of like the indictment oh, okay. of like the All you right. know Judeo-Christian ideologies. Um which is always but, fun. But it's it's so it's such an intelligent kind of Thing. It's an intelligent film in this same exact franchise. Yeah. Dealing with the same indictments that this movie just goes like, Oh yeah, by the way, you're destroying the world with like the, 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 the global warming. <laughs> what are you gonna
1: say? I just enjoyed that her speech came with a visual video yeah, presentation. Who was she doing Like that? who who prepared that? I don't because it looked like it was on the monitor. Yeah. So
2: was she, show, well, like, was she showing it to them? Was she ready to go with it's all these like clips? It's
1: like she had prepared Listen, a, she prepared a PowerPoint.
0: Really yeah, Charles Dance is really bored. I mean, He's in the background. Just
1: <laughs>
2: I'm so... I'm also, so... <laughs> uh,
0: here's a problem. Here's a big... Actually, here's a big thematic problem I have with this. So Madison, Millie Bobby Brown's character is in the beginning on board with this entire theme. And knows about it. She knows about it. Jonah comes in and kills, yeah, a lot of people. And then we find out that, like Emma's her friend, like her, the, the, the guy yeah. that's that's a part right. of Monarch. Madison's a piece of shit, and this movie never addresses the fact that, like that little girl, is a real piece of shit. Why? Right. <laughs> Because she's on board with what well, no, so my, she's on board with what Vera Farmiga is doing about like establishing some sort see, of but like, I think small you're, balance. I think
2: you're mad at the wrong person because I think the problem is narratively like why if Vera Farmiga had planned this if Emma had planned this with Jonah why is Jonah walking into there and just killing everybody like isn't there a better way to do this without like murdering all the people No, because he's a bad guy. No, no so I'm saying so it's not it's not the girl's fault. Tom, Tom, he's a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's an eco-terrorist. He's the good guy. Tommy's a bad guy. He's, <laughs> he's he's, he
0: shoots that guy in the head when here's, that guy has his hands up. Mario,
2: here's what I'll say. Ready for the hot take? I'm, are you ready? I'm for ready for the, the mic drop. Here it comes. This movie is 100%. 100% a movie about democratic politics in the year 2019 and 2020. 100%. 100%. On one side, you have Emma Russell and Jonah, who are the progressives who are willing to... They don't care about anything else. They just care about this. On the other side, you have Ken Watanabe and Sally Hawkins and Kyle Chandler who are
0: who are big proponents of the Hyde Amendment.
2: they really... Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's an unfortunate movie, but... We can, I mean, I'm sure we can read into it if we want to. Um, who are... Pro-nature, but they're also a little pro-government. You know what I mean? The progressives are anti-government, but pro all the other stuff. And these, the, you know, the middle-of-the-road kind of typical die-to-the-wool Democrats are, are... I know this, Mario, because Ghidorah, they say, was an alien that fell from the sky. It's, it's an alien fell from the sky. It doesn't belong here. At some point, though, Ghidorah decides to nest in Washington, D.C., causing a Category 6 hurricane and just ruining everything in Washington, D.C. Let's really quickly, though. I mean, that is is a fucking metaphor. Like, the metaphor to end all metaphors. That is a three-headed metaphor just sitting there. It's sitting in Washington, D.C., destroying everything, calling all of its fellow monsters to help destroy the Earth. And while, like, different Democratic are you, factions... Wait, are you, are
0: you saying Ghidorah is Trump? Yeah. That... I'm not
2: saying it. I'm saying that this is what the writer and the director in this movie are saying. And that
0: it's three-headed because Trump has control of the Senate, the judiciary, and the executive I branch?
2: Mean, no, not specifically, but that's awesome.
0: But obviously Ghidorah has three I'm heads. I'm really feeding into the thing that I think is nonsense, but go ahead.
2: No, but Ghidorah has three heads, so you can do that perfectly. Um... Oh, it's it's totally there. I was it's really totally wondering. There.
0: I was really wondering about the part where Elaine Chow comes in and just you know invests in Ghidorah. I was like, this scene seems really odd.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. where people on the uh, you know other people are just like maybe this will be good for business. Other people are like, we can. There's a scene where contractors are trying to we're bidding for rebuilding Washington. In Boston.
0: St- <laughs> where Steve King just said something <laughs> aggressively racist and. <laughs> Rodan, Rodan just goes, like, on Twitter and goes like, I don't know. It's, I think he's just misunderstood.
2: <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, that's my hot take, that this is, this is typical. This is like, uh... one, like, one of those weird things that, like, Armand White would super support, That saying, like, oh, this is just lefty. Like, the lefties are right in either category. You know what I mean? So dance is only, Charles Dance is only bad because he killed all those people. But if he didn't kill any of those people... He would just be like, Well, I'm kinda right, right? And but he goes and he does all the footage in the PowerPoint He does go down to
0: Mexico and pay for the head of the Ghidorah.
2: Which is fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Like, so let's talk about this a little bit. Like, let's end on this.
0: Well, you're establishing the villain of Godzilla vs. Kong.
2: It, no, but I think that Godzilla vs. Kong has just gotta be Godzilla vs. Kong because oh, there there's are you a third me? movie coming, they said. There's like another one of these gods like another one of these movies, which I I'm thought... gonna assume it has to be Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, no, right? I thought
1: Kong was next.
2: Kong is next, but apparently there's another one already ready to go, oh. and that's going to be
0: the Mechagodora thing. Uh, I mean, if it gets, I think Mechagodzilla is the the villain of. And so it's Kong and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, like in the end. Yeah, it's going to be like Kong and Godzilla fighting each other for a bit, for like an hour and a half.
2: And see, but that's the thing; they won't fight each other for an hour and a half. That would be awesome if they just fought each
0: other for an hour and a half. Okay, will be setting up for a fight. It'll be a 20 minute fight. Then it'll be like, oh, we have a real fight to have. And then Adam Wingard will just not be able to frame everything properly. Everything will just be too tight. Is Adam Wingard directing it? He's, he's directing it. Well, that movie's going to be fucking
2: terrible then.
1: <laughs> is it? Can I just interject yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the best slash worst things that this Godzilla movie did for me in this past week? Oh. It led me to a link of the 20 worst Godzilla movies, which reminded me. <laughs> In my life of the existence of Jet Jaguar. How? D- and don't you dare. And Baby Godzilla.
2: Baby
0: okay. Godzilla. Baby Godzilla is awful. <laughs> I'll give you that. But Jet Jaguar is a fucking godsend. No,
1: I'm not saying he was bad, but B- Baby Godzilla is awful. So oh now, yeah, yeah. Were, Do baby you guys
2: Godzilla. know who the other like um, Titans were?
0: Oh, there's a lot of. there's Because a, the and character some
2: design on some of those other Titans are inexplicable. Like, I don't know what they look like. Like the one that looks like an
0: elephant with the tusks, I get a kind of a clear sense of. But the which other is the? One... Uh, I think that's the behemoth, which is not something that I remember from. So here's
2: my other here's my other thing, and we don't have to talk about that. I, <laughs> I have one more question for both of you. So at the end of the movie, you know, they make this big deal about the fact that, like, you know, God, oh, oh, you know, all these places are restored because you know Godzilla was there. You know what I mean? Like the radiation, apparently, it's life giving radiation, um, and it you know, brings new life, apparently very rapidly, to, like, these new cities. There's an article in, like, the end credits that says, like, oh, like, forests growing in the Sahara. Is the movie suggesting that humans blighted the Sahara Desert? That, like, the Sahara Desert was really beautiful and lush, like, full of lush plant life at one point, and then humans ruined it, and then Godzilla came through and made it awesome again?
0: Like, <laughs> no, I understand. think I think it's I think it's more just saying it's like rejuvenating the world, but wouldn't
1: regeneration. Be, but wouldn't yeah. that be
2: bad? Of like, the isn't Earth? the Sahara Desert an ecosystem in and of itself? Like, are we supposed to? You know, that's probably killing a lot of animals.
0: Maybe the Kaiju being driven under the ground and into their long hibernation causes the Sahara Desert. Have you thought about that? Maybe they also, and maybe that's why in Godzilla 2014 they destroy Vegas first. Because they got to destroy the Sahara Hotel before they can rejuvenate. I mean, that's my hot take. You got to destroy all the hotels. They got to destroy the Luxor. They got to. They got to destroy the Sahara. Yeah. And then you can reestablish all that African desert space. So you got to destroy American capitalism before you can bring back the desert. We are going deep with this Godzilla discussion.
1: And Armon, by, Armon and by bring back the desert, you mean turn it into a rainforest. Turn it into a rainforest, yeah. Armon or or White, the original desert. Armon
0: White is listening right now going like, revise Review, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Or he's just like putting this into... Lefty he's, propaganda. He's just, he's just writing his Godzilla versus Kong review as we speak. <laughs> but ultimately, though, final take... Um,
2: I mean it was I mean because of everything we it's talked boring. about I was
0: really bored. Was it's boring. I was
2: really bored. Yep. And not even and I, I'm not going to say it's be one of those things like everyone's like oh there's
0: too much people
2: or the, uh, the, the people things didn't matter enough. It's just that the cho- all the choices they made were bad.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to say this. I I think like there's too many people in Godzilla 2014 and like the Aaron Taylor Thomas and Elizabeth Olsen characters are boring, but like overall like, the Ken Watanabe stuff and all that, like, to let them fight, and, like, that human element of it's kind of interesting, and, like, the entire Brian Cranston first hour is fun. Hey,
2: we didn't talk at all
0: about what the fuck David Strathairn is doing in this movie. Oh, nothing. Why is David hey, Strathairn check. in this
2: movie? He, hey, was
0: in, he was in the 2014 movies, so they had to, like, bring him oh back. We also didn't talk about the fact that, like, you know, um... <laughs> just the fact that... that and is like, no, I have, to, I, have to, I have to deliver the bomb. It's like, you could get a radar tech to do that. Like, just point at that guy and be like, hey, listen, you are not the expert on kaiju. You are a guy who's doing the job of three other guys Can here. Please walk up these stairs that we've just concluded will
2: melt you. But you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And uh,
0: If not, this... we'll shoot you in the head. And we're gonna so you rather you... die a hero or be shot you, in the we're head? We're going
2: to give you a very modern nuclear warhead. That apparently has a timer made out of an old measuring tape. But he got to touch him. He got to touch, got to touch Godzilla. And I like how Godzilla looks like a cat. Who's just like, why are you touching me? <laughs> that was really good. That's actually
0: what woke up Godzilla. Godzilla just got... Then you could have bombed into anything. Godzilla right, just right, being touched
2: right, right. was like, don't touch me. <laughs> I'm pissed. Yeah, Godzilla has a problem with, with light touching. He has a sensory problem. He has
0: a real bad social anxiety thing. Alright,
2: we will, we will be right back with our number 59s welcome back Um, my number 59 is I suppose a movie that we've been dreading but also you know had to come at some point I feel like for me not from me Um, it is the 1980 sequel to Star Wars A New Hope Directed by Irving Kirshner. Not that it matters. Uh, Who's it written by? Lee Brackett? Our buddy. Lee Brackett, right? Lee, Lee, Lee Brackett oh, and our, our good friend, name. Larry Kasdan. Oh, no. Fuck you, Larry Kasdan. <laughs> we haven't talked about Lawrence Kasdan in a long time. Fucking Lawrence Kasdan. Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> So Star Wars is on my list because um, it pretty much has to be. Um, when I was... Yeah, settle in. If you fall asleep during this, I'll kick you under the table and wake you up. Um, when I was I think a sophomore in high school? Freshman high school? This movie um, came out? No, but in 1997 in 1997 um, Lucasfilm or whoever—I guess it was Lucasfilm—decided, or George Lucas decided, he was going to add some shit into the Star Wars movies Had and good old uh, special editions. And he re-released them. Um, me and my friends went to all of them. We were, you know, first in line people, um, standing there for hours and hours and hours on end to uh, get into these Star Wars movies. Uh, I was one of the people at the Showcase Cinemas in Orange, Connecticut, or Milford, Connecticut, on Cherry Street. That got one of the misprinted uh, special edition Luke and Jedi outfit action figures that they released. That uh, had the original release date of March 7th. And it was actually released on my birthday, March 14th. Um, so that was either 97 or 98. I think it was 97. But it doesn't matter.
0: Um, and this is like the movie, the one movie that... Ever, all the fans are kind of okay with the changes. This is
2: the this is the one that everyone's like. This is this is the movie. Um, that really doesn't matter to me. It's my favorite of all the Star Wars movies, um, but it's more repre- I mean, the uh, it's more representative of a time in my life where Star Wars was my whole existence, and it wasn't my whole existence because, um, I really liked Star Wars. I'm actually fairly indifferent. To Star Wars as a thing um, I haven't seen any of the new movies like i didn't see um, the Force awakens or um, the Last Jedi um, in theaters I saw them on Netflix because i don 't fucking care um, my whole Star Wars experience was is i you know I saw the the prequels all in theaters and every single one of them left me um You know, disgruntled and disappointed, not just in George Lucas and his terrible ability to tell a story, but also in myself for, you know, thinking that Star Wars was a thing that you could live your life by. Um, But for a couple of years there, me and my friends were, Star Wars was what we did. And um, we, you know, spent a lot of time in uh, comic book stores, specifically Barron's, um, in Milford, which is not there anymore. Baron Vangor Toth was his name, and he was, like, in his late 20s, but was tell- he told us that he was in Vietnam, and we just believed him because we didn't really know what that meant at the time. We were just like, yeah, Vietnam, awesome. We were, like, 15 years old. We were cool. Um, in art class, in, like, a freshman art class, me and a buddy made a life-size replica out of paper mache of R2-D2. Um I read all the books. I had the video games. I collected the action figures and didn't open them. I tacked them up on my wall. So I had a wall of action figures. I mean, to the point where I was going to... Me and a friend were going to Caldor's. you know what Caldor's is? Do you have Caldor's in, on the West Coast? We not. So in the mall, in the Milford, Connecticut Post Mall, there's right where, like, the Gap was, um, there used to be... At the end, it used to stop... it was a big department store called Caldor's. And we would go to Caldor's, we'd take the bus from our house to Caldor's where they had like lax security and not very good Star Wars action figures. And we'd steal those Star Wars action figures and we'd take them to Toys R Us, which was down the street. And we'd trade them in for store credit and get good Star Wars action figures. And I'm sorry if my parents are listening to this because that's what me and Bill and Tom uh, and JB were doing with ourselves. A different Tom? A different time, yeah, um, and that's what we did. Star Wars was pretty much our whole life, and um, it's weird to think back now to a movie I'm largely indifferent to that, like it for a, a very specific amount of time. It was just what I did, you know what I mean? It mm. was just who I was as a person. And I don't know now. I'm pretty sure now it was just because that's what these guys were doing. And I liked these guys. And they were really into Star Wars. So I was also really into Star Wars. To that point, I always I also got really into, like, Glenn Danzig. And, like, the comic books he was he was um, producing at well, the Glenn time. Glenn Danzig? The comic books? He had a comic book company called Verodic. Was it called Mother? No, no, no. He had Verodic. And so it had, like... Um, what was Verodic? Igrot and death dealer and jaguar god and like a bunch of a bunch of other things and i got really into this comic book series called dark child and witchblade was then and the darkness was then and max do you remember the, you remember max maxx like the big purple guy with the claws on his hands. No Shin Devilman. That's the only thing
0: from this I know. And it was like
2: it that was like the Spawn era too. But like our whole life revolved around comic books and Star Wars and and going to the comic book store and and collecting Star Wars things and all this other stuff. It was crazy. Um, but it's funny because we talked about um, Spirited Away a couple weeks ago and how, like, this movie really belong? I, like, gave all of these um, um, Miyazaki movies to my kids, essentially. You know what I mean? And and, and my appreciation of them is going to change based on, like, how it affects them. Um, me and my son watched A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, last weekend, in, like, a marathon. Um, and it's one of those things where I don't have the same experience with them. Like, I'm they were such a huge part of my life that I can't ever officially give them to them. He's going to have his own relationship to them completely absent of what I may feel about these Star Wars movies. We're going to feel something different about the Star Wars movies. To that end, the reason Empire's on it because it's the Star Wars movie, that's the most movie. You know what I mean? Absolutely. A new hope, A New Hope is close, but an Empire,
0: it does the Tag real... of the Clones is too much of a good
2: movie. Attack oh, of the Clones is just is so good, and I can't... I can see so little of the computer-generated scenes in that movie because of just computer blurriness and things like that, um, that... I just... I couldn't put it on here, but... I mean, the thing about Empire Strikes Back that I like the most, and even... One of the reasons I keep coming back to it as a movie, not just as a Star Wars movie, but as a movie, is it has that... does that miraculous thing where it expands the universe um, while also keeping it keeping what you just saw in the first movie like intact you know what i mean keeping the specialness of the first movie intact but expanding the universe so if anybody doesn't know what happens in empire strikes back um i don't see really how that's possible but uh you know luke skywalker and the rebel alliance have blown up the death star they're hiding out on hoth uh the empire finds them on hoth the rebels don't actually ever beat you know, the Imperial troopers that land on Hoth, but eventually they just go away, and Luke goes to Dagobah to train with Yoda, and and Han and Leia end up on uh, Bespin, uh, the Cloud City, with uh, Han's friend Lando, because they're trying to hide out from the Empire. Um, Han gets taken prisoner, he gets tricked by Lando, because Lando doesn't have a choice, because he's convinced by Darth Vader that he has to do this, and he gets frozen in carbonite, and then Luke and Vader have a have a face-off on on the cloud city and Vader cuts off Luke's hand and he reveals that he's his father. And then (gasps) Luke, spoiler alert. And then, you know, Luke denies him. And then, you know, he ends up hanging from that thing, um, from that antenna, like under that building and, and Leia and Lando go pick him up and he gets a mechanical hand. And, um, it's interesting because from a plot perspective, not a lot happens. You know what I mean? Han and Leia, um, there's like a, a recurring thing, um, in the whole movie where they can't get the, um, the hyperspace, um, the light speed thing, to work at all in in the Millennium Falcon, um, even when uh, you know uh, Lando's guys are supposed to have fixed it, they didn't fix it, and he's just like, "They told me they fixed it. I trusted them." Um, so, the, from a plot perspective, not a lot happens, but you know, as everyone's always said, it leaves you hanging, literally hanging in this really dark place where I'm not sure a lot of, like, sequel movies were kind of really, like, maybe that's not even true, and that doesn't even make, make any difference, but it leaves you in a really interesting place, um, a, a really compelling place, a really provocative place, from a popcorn movie perspective, you know what I mean? Where, like, they've essentially lost... You know what I mean? Like, the good guys lost. In the first movie, the good guys win. In the third movie, the good guys win. But in the second
0: movie, they super lose. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing that was then followed by Avengers Infinity War. Sure. Yeah, it yeah, set yeah, out It set out kind of like the culture of, of what would become the popcorn middle of, of a
2: trilogy. But in Avengers, it was changed to like the nineteenth. Well, I mean, it was a, of a twenty-two a
0: G. It was the fourth movie of sure. the Avengers, yeah, 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 quadrilogy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's in um, for those reasons. It's really compelling. I think. Mean, I think the thing that kind of stands out to me this time, and I'll, I'm, I'm not how much, I'm not sure how much credit I want to give Irving Kirshner or Lawrence Kasdan because I think the script is whatever it is. They give they give you know Han Solo a lot of awesome stuff to say. They give Yoda some really interesting things to say. Other than that, you, you know, Lando, Billy D. Williams sells his Lando shit, like, hard, which makes, like, you know, some fairly stereotypical,
0: you know. Um, let's see how J.J. J. Abrams does with. Uh, yeah, let's see Billy how
2: 80 year old Billy D. Williams handles this stuff. Um, is he but 80? The cinematography by Peter
0: Sushitsky. That's 82 years old. Yeah.
2: Wow. Here's the thing Did you know that the guy that did the cinematography of this movie is, like, David Cronenberg's cinematographer? I did not. He did, like. All of David Cronenberg's movies. Like Existence and the Fly and cool. like all this other stuff. Naked Lunch. Like, right. he's not like a. He's not your stereotypical, but maybe he is your stereotypical, like from a, like a screen credit standpoint, like cinematographer for this type of movie. He he also did After Earth, so. Yeah, he, but he was. He's an old man at that, at that point. Um, everyone's got to eat. Um. Did Cosmopolis the year before, which but that's what i 'm saying this is David Kronberg? Cosmopolis yeah. is a bonus episode um, all his the the cinematography for this movie really sells the darkness here, you know what I mean, and it 's not just a darkness in the storytelling standpoint it 's a darkness in an aesthetic from an aesthetic standpoint, you know what I mean, it has a real weight to it. it has real significance, all like Han going into the carbonite freezing chamber and that all that whole battle sequence. Is really compellingly shot. You know what I mean? Um, to the point where it looks real. You don't think it, you're watching like a science fiction green screen. Yeah. You know, exercise. You're watching like a real
0: battle that has real stakes. Um, Which is he's he's always been able like that that cinematographer, um, Pierce Shlepsky's always been able to do is like even looking at things like. Dead Ringers and Existence kind of like still have the same kind of level of on the groundness. Yeah. Like it's not too outside the world or outside the scope or grand. It's never grand. I guess that's the one of no, the things I do like Strike And because
2: even when it's grand, it's really not all that grand. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got some like that's the thing that's probably like the later Star Wars movies is that like even when stuff is supposed to be filthy, you're just like, well, that's the most beautiful looking filthy thing I've ever seen. But in this movie, like it gets it gets it gets down there. You know what I mean? Like it's it's heavy. There's a heaviness to everything that's happening. Um... I mean, as a movie, I don't really. It is what it is. It's fucking Star Wars. It's The Empire Strikes Back. Like, are, who's asking questions about The Empire Strikes Back at this point? You know what I mean? Um, for in my, that sense, from any sense. But my relationship to it is is the thing that really, in my my history with it, the bio, from a biography standpoint, that's it's here because of that. You know what I mean? Um, but again, kind of like how we talked about on the on. Um, that episode that we haven't aired yet about like the 1993 action films with tombstone. I'm not sure where I go from here. Like, and I like, I don't see what I don't see if when I, when I track my feelings about and my emotions in my, in uh, my relationship to like the rest of the movies on like my list. I'm not sure where star Wars um, has influenced any of the other th- movies on my list. You know what I mean? It's 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 a it's it's one of those movies like like we talked about with Tombstone, where it begins and ends with Star Wars. My relationship with Star Wars essentially was like these weird pivotal teenage years for me, where I was developing friends and developing as a self, but was still willing to give was still willing to make concessions of in regards regarding my aesthetics and what I wanted to from movies. Or, what I wanted from movies in order to kind of appease friendships. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a weird thing to say. And I'm not saying that I like stuff. Like, this movie's on my list because, like, my friends made it. And those guys aren't even my friends anymore. Um, they didn't make me do anything. But I don't generally go in for these, like, space operas and stuff like that, or space anythings. I'm not, like, a space guy per se. Um, but. I, when I watch it again, I can feel the significance of it. I can feel that
0: history with it. You know what I mean? Which, yeah, I feel too. I just... This, this is the the deep crevasse or, you know, like hole in my movie fandom. Is that? I, a, do just, you really consider a hole in your fandom that you don't like Star Wars? I just, I just don't care. And it's
2: not because I'm trying to be subversive. No, but you know what? I don't think I care either. You know what I mean? I just don't. Like I said, I didn't see... I I think they're good.
0: They're fun. I didn't see Rogue One,
2: Force Awakens, or The Last Jedi in theaters. Because I don't care. I saw Solo in theaters because we are doing this podcast when Solo came out. I did not see Solo in theaters. You know what I mean? And we didn't talk about it, but it was like one of those things where like, I guess I should see this.
1: Yeah,
0: in terms of Star Wars movies I've seen in theaters, I've seen Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith... And uh, Force Awakens, Mm -hmm. that's it.
2: Yeah, I've seen these three,
0: the prequels, and then Solo. And of of all those, like I still like honestly, Rogue One is still somehow my favorite of those bunch. Rogue One's a good movie, yeah, because I think it's. I think it's it's in the same way of this movie, whereas it's like the most competently put together. Well, it is the most like core central narrative that doesn't rely on these. Like, Rogue One has those moments that are definitely rely on, like, you know, in the beginning of New Hope and whatnot, but still it works in um, isolation. And, mm-hmm. and it, it works as an isolated narrative. Whereas, you know, and Empire Strikes Back is very similar to that, whereas all these other films um, have some hole in them. Uh, and, and New Hope also r- works in isolation, but everyone else just kind of like, is a lingering, you know, like mm. return of the Jedi is not a whole movie. Um, none of the prequels work by themselves except for attack of the clones. Um, <laughs> you know, clone wars doesn't exist by itself or solo or force awakens. Now, do you, you like know? attack
2: of the Clones so much because it's, you just imagining Christopher Lee talking to nothing.
0: No, I have, I have, I have very <laughs> personal, uh, like 14 year old Mario reasons for like attack of the clones. Oh, okay. it's, it holds a central place in my heart for, um, an arena sequence as a, as a as a young teenage boy oh okay when george lucas made a very decided decision about what part of clothing would be removed from natalie portman oh yeah yeah, yeah. literally that's the only reason i am okay with that movie. which is i'm not okay with that movie that movie stinks but and i thought it was hilarious how angry my friends got that yoda was suddenly bouncing around everywhere and that well, doesn't make any scene. sense well it's funny I find that shit funny. Like, this, that is the one thing of, like, me being subversive of all my friends loving these movies. That was like, well, this movie stinks and you hate this, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just cause, like, I don't get it. I don't, I felt, I fell asleep on Star Wars multiple times.
2: Because you gotta, I think the problem is that the culture has decided that you either are on board with all of it or you can't be on board with any of it. And I think, I think that's. Which is weird, because, like... You, you have, have you just have to buy into the complete mythology
0: of it. It's like, but some of this mythology fucking sucks. But Even something like... You look at, like, uh, Star Trek. Like, even the Star Trek crazy fandom doesn't lean into that so much. I mean, they do. No,
2: they don't. I mean, I guess they don't... I don't know. It never became the same thing that, like, Star Wars was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Star Trek people. So they don't really have, like, a leg to stand on from that perspective. Um...
0: Should you open up two beers. I have two open beers. I guess I'm drinking them. Um, yeah, I was wondering that you, you said like I'm not drinking three, and I was like, well, you just opened your third. Well, I finished <laughs> one, and then I just yeah. Sea <laughs> um, Hag, my friends, this is what Sea Hag will do to you. It entrances you. <sighs> it is. It's, it's it's a it's it's, a, tempt- it's bringing temptress. you it's bringing you to the rocks. You're trying um, to get back to Penelope, but it's just bringing you to the rocks. <laughs> um, but no, it's just like these are. These first two movies are good movies. Like, they're really entertaining summer blockbusters. They stand in the same vacuum as E.T., which we talked about. Right. And, 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 and Jaws. Which and, we'll or Raiders of the other, Lost Ark. Like, you know, other really fun... Like, just, like, super fun. But I guess my problem has always been, like, I had heard... Um, and maybe, you know, I'd, I'd just been under the depression with the fandom and with, with the, the cultural voice, you know, that it meant something more. And it doesn't.
2: Well, it doesn't, and that's the thing. I don't, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it doesn't have to. And it doesn't. And I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? From a, 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 from a, a historical narrative perspective, from the context of my own life, um, it plays Star Wars and this movie, I suppose, in general – play a very big role but from a a movie pers- from a movie perspective i'm just kind of like well that's good and it was fun and i don't have to carry it around with me as a movie forever you know what i mean i don't have to i don't have to see these movies like a hundred times i don't have to go to the opening night midnight showings anymore i'm
0: okay with my relationship i will i will say this though um Empire Strikes Back does give us probably one of the best pieces of music in movie. Which which The Imperial piece? March is, is fantastic. The
2: Imperial Mar- well, and that's the thing. I mean, if we wanted to really dig into like the Star Wars thing, I actually think this is probably John Williams. Mm. Like, one of his... Either his best work or some of his best work. Um, it's all really evocative and is really doing a lot of work. Um, but, like, good work. You know what I mean? Not in service of, like, other things that aren't being done, but along with that stuff.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, but, like, that is, this is the movie, I'd say even more, like, Star Wars is such an iconic sort of score, but I think this is the one that really digs deep down into just, like, fitting the images on the screen. Mm -hmm. Like, more so than, than, like, Star Wars does. Like, Star Wars kind of, it overwhelms it at times, the score, but, like, Empire really is the one that digs down. I think you're right. I think think also Empire, like Urban or maybe like whatever, like because like that soundtrack has become so had become so iconic even by that point. Mm -hmm. Like they play the film to the score. Yeah, and I think A
2: New Hope. I think you're right because it because of like the nature of how it was made and when it was made, it's doing less all the time but the score is like doing the same stuff. Yeah. But you know, there's not really like a ton happening on screen. You know what I mean? Like the lightsaber battle in A New Hope is way different and tamer than the lightsaber battle in Empire Strikes Back. Um which is why the score during the lightsaber battle in A New Hope is like really bombastic and what have you. Um and when he, you know, when he cuts you know, uh Darth Vader cuts Obi-Wan down, like, there's this big, like, and, like, Luke's. Even though these and two old stuff. men are
0: just have literally been kind of like casually flaying their lightsabers like, <laughs> back and forth yeah. for four minutes. But when
2: Luke and, and Darth Vader are going at it in Empire, like, there's actually not a lot of score going on. It's just a lot of, like, wind blowing and, like, lightsabers clashing and grunting and things like that. They just kind of let the excitement of the moment stand where in New Hope they really needed to, like, oh, he's he's crossing a, a unbridged space that. Is as it turns out is like ten feet. I'm yeah, not saying definitely. he could jump it, but it isn't like a hundred feet. You no. know what I mean? It's <laughs> when they cut back and they show Luke like Luke and Leia swinging, you're like, yeah, that's not that far.
0: Yeah, very easily <laughs>
2: done. That's not a big deal. So, um yeah, that's I mean that's a new hope. I mean that's <laughs> empire. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. That is that is... Oh, that's the end of the six-pack. That's what that is.
1: <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, we will be right back uh, with Mario's 59. Which is very different than
0: this one. Sure. Yeah. Super different. We're talking about trilogies, Tom. That's what, that's what we're talking about today. Well, your trilogy keeps going and going and going. It's never going to stop. And going. My trilogy... A nice contained trilogy hmm. of two really solid movies followed by a third movie that was a movie that happened. Very Steam version was not okay. it, it. Yeah. It was pretty good. Not bad. No, it's not bad. But we're talking about films that made like a huge impact in like our high school kind of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Star Wars I saw in high school, actually before that, but I saw New Hope sat down for the first time in a class to watch New Hope to talk about the hero's journey, and Harold Bloom um, doing hand motion Har- right in. Did
2: Harold Bloom talk about Star Wars? They talked about like, the hero's journey. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he always
0: talks about that. And they used Star Wars as the perfect example of it. And I was basically watching that movie doing this. I actually fell asleep on it. I'm sure Harold um, Bloom was doing the same thing. <laughs> but for me, one trilogy of a similar ilk made an impact on me around that same time. It is the 1985 Robert Zemeckis Back to the Future. Marty McFly is your average 1980s carefree teenager. He sure is. Who's uh, working with uh, his bombastically crazed uh, employer-ish. We don't know what that is doing. I I think he's getting some some money on the side. He answered a newspaper ad or something. You think so? Uh, Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, who is playing a 90-year-old man in nineteen eighty five and is still a ninety <laughs> year old man in two thousand nineteen. Um Emmett Brown has stolen some plutonium from his Liberian terrorists, saying he's gonna make them a bomb. Wednesday's made himself a little time machine. He has gunned down it's a at the uh the twin was it the twin trees? Twin twin pines? Twin pines, the Twin Pines Mall. Yep. Um, which is one of my actually one of my favorite psych gags in this movie. Um later on. And mm-hmm.
2: uh My poetry knocked out my poetry
0: <laughs> And uh Marty jumps inside of his retrofitted DeLorean, which he says is a time machine. He drives it at one point two gigawatts. Strong power right there. <laughs> And uh, travels back to 1955, where he destroys one of those trees and and inadvertently creates the Lone Pine Mm -hmm. shopping mall, shopping center, uh, and ends up getting involved in the life of his parents um, and asked to undo the mistake that his mom, Lorraine, really wants to sleep with this Calvin Klein, and he has to make sure that George McFly played by Crispin Glover for one movie and then not Crispin Glover for other movies. Don't know why they got rid of Crispin Glover. There's no drama there. (laughs) Uh, And from there, a nice little kind of time-traveling drama comedy ensues. I adore everything about this movie, even though it's, like, dumb. It's a dumb i don't know how dumb it is it's silly like it's i say dumb in like the silly it's fast it's fast it's like it just kind of jumps from thing to thing to thing it's it's it doesn't obey its rules it doesn't even try to create rules um it's just like marty's traveled back in time we're not gonna worry about anything about (laughs) what this would do he has to like make sure he doesn't uncreate himself he solves that, but that's—I mean, it really. I mean, and goes really, back forward I mean that's, uh, uh, but still, uh, a closed, its a closed timeline, right. which doesn't work. but... I um... you know. So before we get into this, yeah, yeah, th- this movie is the quintessential fun movie for me. It is that that sick day pick me up. It is that Mario has gone through a breakup, which I haven't gone through li- yet, ladies. You want to make me watch Back to the Future sometime? In the future? <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us. Um, it is that movie that no matter what, is going to bring me from whatever depth I am and just bring me right up. I, as a kid, I adored Michael J. Fox. I had to watch every episode of Spin City. Doc Hollywood. Doc. Ho- I love Doc Hollywood. Doc Hollywood is one of my good introductions to. Uh, Nudity, <laughs> one of the earlier inductions to to nudity, where I was like, "Oh, I, I, I noticed that." Because I was oh, you weird.
2: noticed, <laughs> you noticed when she just like walks out of the like naked. A huge
0: Julie Warner fan as a kid.
2: Yeah, we were all huge Julie Warner fans as kids. Is that, the, is that
0: the reason why you really is that the actual reason Tommy Boy's on your list? No, I because I came to Doc Hollywood after Tommy Boy. Oh, really? See, when I saw Tommy Boy, I was like, "Oh, this movie's fine." Wait a minute, Julie Warner is in this. And she's in the lake. What's she doing? And then she was clothed, and that's why I hated Tommy Boy. Um, <laughs> but I always loved Michael J. Fox. I loved Christopher Lloyd because my parents were huge Taxi fans. Uh uh-huh. Leah Thompson's Leah Thompson. There's
1: not actually much really to be said yeah. About Leah, Leah Thompson,
2: Thompson actually is really interesting because um, I actually did watch a lot of Caroline in the City when it was. I didn't on. watch a lot. I do not watch really any Caroline thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leah Thompson is like a, a is a really good actress to just kind of didn't
0: end up play this role. Like she is, yeah. like this role requires like a certain. T- we talked about this when we grabbing our good old buffalo chicken nachos from Archie Moore's thirteen fifty, pretty good deal. Um, shout out Archie Moore's. I'll tag yeah. them you know, and hopefully in the episodes, give us free nachos every three weeks. Um, we talked about this on the way over there, like about how. The, the the conceit of the film is weird in the sense that like Lorraine instantly falls for Marty, and mm-hmm. it's that weird juxtaposition of like there's like that moment where he finds her like attractive, but like what not, and it's just like the weirdness of it. But like Aunt Leah Thompson, and this isn't brought up a lot because I don't know if it's even appropriate to bring it up. it's like there's a certain like timeless beauty to her that like. And maybe this is what's what's great about this movie is like everything about this movie kind of perpetrates throughout. It still just has relevant now. It still works now, even beyond the one point two one gigawatts. Like it's great they say gigawatts instead of gigawatts. What twenty one gigawatts? Because it makes it so utterly, like, it makes it a movie that exists. Like unlike Airplane, where we talked about last week. Which is a relic of its time. This one is, is a relic of its time in that, you know, there's probably a bunch of cocaine in the tires of that car. Um but you know, it it still works now. Like well, it deals with these these timeless issues. It has these people who like despite their clothing and their you know whatnot, they still work. Like like the the archetypes of each character, the cool yeah. kid the bully, the, the nerd, the, the, the pretty girl next door, the, the the crazy uncle. Like, all these crazy, weird archetypes exist throughout, like, the past century of art, you know, and, and like, and literature and, and ideas and just general, like, pop, you know, pulp mm. fiction. Like, this is quintessential pulp fiction. Well, here's, I mean, here's the thing that I think is really interesting. About Almost this. quintessential pulp fiction. We're talking talk about another movie later that is truly quintessential pulp fiction.
2: Um... Not Pulp Fiction. Well, we will talk about Pulp Fiction later for people that are keeping track. Um, here's the thing I think is really interesting about this movie and it's why I think this movie is going to hold up better than like a lot of other movies is that when you watch it in 2019, like I, I just watched it yesterday, um, when you watch it in 2019, you say, whoa, 1955 looks good and 1985 looks good. And then you forget that like It was made in 1985. Yeah, because they were so. Yeah, 1985 does look good because it was made in 1985. But it's so you you buy into every aspect of this movie, so you never have any questions when you're watching it. Even if you're like the kind of most the, the most astute, like pretentious douchey movie watcher, you're never like while you're watching it. Like I don't know how this is gonna work out, or like, is this gonna work, or what is does this does this make any sense, or like, what's happening? Like when I was watching it this time, I said to myself, I actually remember saying this to myself when he hooked up the camcorder to the TV. I was like, would would you actually be able to hook up a camcorder to a TV? Like, would it even have the inputs to do that? And if it didn't have the inputs to do that, would it even have the like the electrical mechanisms in the back of it that you could take it out and kind of like. May like hook a camcorder up to a 1955 television. I'm pretty sure you couldn't, but I said to myself, "Can you do that?" And then I said to myself,
0: "I don't really care." No, actually, no. I did. I asked myself the same question, and I said, "This fucking guy created a time machine using plutonium and 1985 equipment. It'd figure it out." Doc Brown could fucking figure. He'd that figure out. He'd figure it out. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, this, that is and that's that because is, of that's because of like the foundation that was laid in here. Like this, real or not, it's real. Do you know what made me appreciate this movie even more? I actually went back to watch this movie after reading a certain book. That was my foot.
2: Um, <laughs> I didn't know what
0: that was. Eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh yeah, because eleven twenty two sixty three follows a like. lot of those same uh, 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 conceits in the sense that it, it establishes itself very much in the modern time. It does a quick little dwell into the past mm-hmm. to give you a lot of like vi- audiovisual sensory um, images of the past that make you feel the past. Uh-huh. It jumps back to the present and then dives back into the past, and you never realize that this book's written in 2010.
2: Well, he doesn't. In, like I was actually, but just, it feels was...
0: like it's 19 what 57 when he jumps back 1959. 58. 58. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's September 1958.
2: Um, I was just having this conversation with someone with. Um, one of the dads at at school, and um, you know, he was not he's not a big big Stephen King guy. And I was he's like, "What's the best Stephen King book?" And I was like, "Well, you, eleven twenty two sixty three is his best book. Like, whatever. It's not a horror book. It, you know, it doesn't adhere to the stereotypical like." The dad said that.
0: No, that's what I said. I was like, "Oh, so, wait, wait, we agree on this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's easy, easily it's easily Stephen King's like by far his best book.
2: Not even really close. Yeah, no. It's, it's... Um, it doesn't do the stereotypical Stephen King stuff. But I think the magic thing about it is that he doesn't dwell at all on the idea of the time travel. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. And the magic of this movie, and it's really interesting. Like, from a scene per for, for scene perspective, Robert Zemeckis doing a lot of solidifying, giving us markers that we can judge one era from another era. You know what I mean? Like, showing us Goldie, the re-elect Goldie as mayor signs on the van and stuff like that and then like showing us goldie in 1955 um but on top of that with like the opening sequence with all the clocks and the amplifier and the automatic coffee maker and the dog food you know feeder and all this other stuff he's showing us and the way that like it's really clever and really well done. You don't even really think about it until you stop to think about it. And like the way that when Michael J. Fox is riding on his skateboard down the like attached to the back of the truck and all the the women in like the exercise class like wave at him, it establishes like this is all stuff that happens all the time. These are things that just exist in the world. You don't have to question them because the filmmaker has already done the work for you to show you that like they are what they are, you know what I mean, These are things that exist. these are things that are happen all the time, like so when you're watching it, you get it's and it's really one of those things that they don 't do in movies anymore. You get the opportunity to just sit back and enjoy whatever is being shown to you. you know what i mean it's without a having to process it or like think, was this believable?" Or is this plausible? You just like well it is what it is. It, it's it, just awesome.
0: It, it in, sim- in a similar fashion to, you know, Jurassic Park is just a ride. It's 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 a yeah. it's a it's a theme park ride. Well I would, say, the I would same. say I even say I'd even argue a movie we'll talk about in two months, the sequel. And I hope it's the same. Uh, it. It chapter one mm. is a theme park ride, well, and like for all of its flaws and whatnot, you don't fucking care. And to
2: an extent, fun. Empire Strikes Back is the same way. You know what I mean? Where I said before, like it expands the universe, and but you're not like questioning like where do these people come from? You're just like because the groundwork has been laid. You're just like, well, yeah, obviously there's through, these people. I
0: mean, I think I think Empire Strikes Back is interesting in the sense that you know, for somebody like me, like like there's no fucking pretense with Back to the Future or Jurassic Park, or, right, 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 like. It to an certain extent, I guess, but like you know, you go in you can go into Empire or Star Wars with like a prejudice, you know, like, like you a, could, an expectation, yeah, yeah. and then when those expectations are just a fun ride, you you suddenly denigrate it. Well, when when, um, when the new movie makes a agree. billion dollars,
2: like when if you try to go back and watch something, you're just kind of like, well, this. Well,
0: even looking at Empire, Empire still is by rate by adjusted. Numbers, the thirteenth highest-grossing film of all time. Is that true? Yeah, and by adjusted numbers, Star Wars is still number two. So really, no. Is Endgame number one or adjusted numbers? No, Gone with the Wind. By tickets sold, it is still that. Ugh. Ugh. Gone with the Wind is a terrible. But movie. it is fair in the sense that like they didn't have fucking options. No, no, you no. Could, like. Literally, Gone with the Wind is number one because it's long and they didn't have air conditioning.
2: Well, and that's a conversation that like people were having, and like
0: scar and you know, even, even, Vivian Lee was even crazy this year.
2: Hot. We'll do we'll do another talk about the the best movie year ever book. It's but, like, like the Lee? other movie year is nineteen thirty nine that everyone always talks about, right? Mm. Like that nineteen thirty nine was like the best movie year ever, and is it the best movie year ever because like the movies that they say came out were like the only movies that were really available for you to see?
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know. But, no, this is just... It's hard. Like, there's flaws in this movie. but They don't matter. mm Like, this is, you know... You get that great Alan, like, Sylvester score, which carries throughout all of it. You get that Robert Zemeckis, like, carefreeness.
2: Yeah, and the other thing... And, like, you... one thing
0: I love about Robert Zemeckis, like, and he's lost that recently, but even, like, something like What Lies Beneath, mm. which is a pretty flawed 1999 Hitchcockian horror movie. But it's just fun. But it's fun. yeah. And he lets, like, fuck, he's like, Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford, just fucking be zany and do what you want to do. And they sell it, and, like, Zemeckis does that. Like, when Zemeckis kind of, like, even movies that have, like, a certain gravity to them, like Flight, he's kind of just, like, tells John Goodman and, you know, Denzel Washington to just do their thing. Well, there's a lot and, like, of... like, this carefreeness works. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Chris McGovern before. I mean, I, there was
2: a lot of animosity on the set, I guess. Um... Because Crispin Glover was, I guess, pretty close to Eric Stoltz, who got fired from this movie. Like, after they had already been shooting for a long time to like hire Michael J. Fox because Eric Stoltz wasn't working. Um, And Crispin Glover had a lot of questions about, like, the morals of the movie that Robert Zemeckis was just kind of not really interested in answering. But I think one of the flaws with the Oscars in the 80s, amongst all the other flaws, is that, like, Crispin Glover and christopher lloyd get overlooked for like best supporting actor in this year and like back to the future gets a couple of like cursory nominations for stuff um but you know it's like the out of africa year like out of africa you know like we're giving sydney pollock oscars you know what i mean and like (laughs) and back to the future can't even get like a best picture nomination or like best supporting actor or you know whatever what does it win? Like best sound editing. It doesn't even like, it doesn't
0: even get nominated for visual effects. Yeah, um, Return to it gets returned. It wins gets nominated best sound for sound editing, and it gets nominated for um, sound mixing, original song, which should have won, and best original screenplay. And it's just like, come on, guys, come on. Yeah, you get. The witness, which is pretty solid. Pretty's honors, like Pretty's honors, is, is pretty movie. solid. Kiss of the Spider Woman's okay. Color Purple's whatever. Out of Africa's also whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you have Back to the Future, which is a fantastic movie, made a shit ton of money, but like it's just not like an Oscar picture. Eric Roberts gets nominated
0: for Winnery Train. Yeah, Eric Roberts got nominated for an Oscar. That's crazy. I've never seen Winnery Train. I have seen Jagged Edge, though, and Robert Lucille was there. Is it based that good. off the Soul Asylum song? I hope so. <laughs> um, Back to the Future loses that year to Witness, by the way, which
1: you know, I'm kind
0: of okay with. But you know what else gets nominated that year and loses? Brazil. Well, yeah. We'll talk about Brazil another time. Um, one thing that blows my mind in terms of Oscars that year, and we're talking about cinematography is Out of Africa wins that year mm-hmm. for its really boring landscape shots. Um,
2: like, super boring. Yeah. Like, like, just regular person landscape shots. Like easily, this movie should not win cinematography. Or anything, but, yes, cinematography for sure.
0: No, I'm talking about Back to the Future. Oh, no, I thought you meant But, the, c- but the cinematography, this is a lot of fun. Like, like that carries a lot of this. Well, because yeah, I mean... It's pretty plain, but it's so, like, it's so colorful. And it's not the best. Um, no it's not the best but it, of that it, year it, that, the best of that year is easily decided it's a little uh, Kurosawa thing oh, um, the fact that I, I love that Kurosawa got
2: nominated for best director for Ran and like it's in best cinematography it was he
0: get nominated for best cinematography it does. but like I also love that all these Kurosawa other gets movies nominated I also love that Rand. Kurosawa gets nominated for Ran and then you know they don't just go like oh yeah by the way uh, so Oscars Ran came out this year Maybe we should do something about this. See see you next year. (laughs) Here's all the Oscars for Ran. We're not going to talk about that movie ever. Um, (laughs) We are not Kurosawa fans. Yeah, no. We'll never talk about Ran. But, like, the thing that bums me out is, is, like, this is Dean Cundey. I love it. I'm a Dean Cundey guy. I am. He's, he's a great cinematographer, and he is so colorful. And the one Oscar nomination he gets is for, like, that true exploitation of – exploitation of colors, which is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another Zemeckis classic that, you know, just missed my list.
2: I agree. And uh, it didn't just miss my list, but it, it's in the 200 – it's in, like, the 106 to 200 somewhere.
0: But, like, you know, this is the, this is Carpenter's guy. This is the guy who started out with, you know, Halloween – he does the fog. He does the thing. You know, he fucking mm. does work. You know, and it's it's unfortunate that this movie, which is like who, you know, Back to the Future, is framed well. Like it is. Well, I would. It argue, doesn't do anything to blow your mind. No, but one hundred percent of where the cameras put and the, and the coloration, the saturation is is absolutely well, carrying you through I, that ride. And I would argue that it, all those movies that came out that year. Pass it up, and, and I like, would re- I, I would argue that it really
2: like the cinematography in this movie matters more than it does in a lot of other movies. In the sense that like he has to establish nineteen fifty five as a real place. Yeah, you know what I mean. He has it's to this, do this it. It's like just
0: nominated for production design too, which which is in insane. My mind. Yeah. Insane.
2: I mean,
1: like.
0: I mean, they made 1985 know. look more like 1985 than any movie that was supposed to be 1985 and only
2: 1985 Here's what I would say did. from a production design standpoint, like or from a
0: cinematography standpoint. They didn't plant that fucking tree. Dean that, Cuddy did the cinematography for Escape to New York, by the way. There you go. Another movie that got fucking, um, that should have got a nomination for cinematography. They didn't plant. Dean Cuddy should have like seven cinematography nominations. They
2: didn't make that tree that Crispin Glover fell out of out of wood or just plant it right before they shot. They didn't. Like, build all those houses on that street that Crispin Glover fell out of the tree into the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that, when you're watching that, it is 1955. You're not watching a movie that was made in 1985, like, and that they're showing you 1955. You are 100% watching 1955 play out and in front a, of you. And that's the and thing. And it's like- not, it's, it doesn't have the magisterial, like, you know, landscape shots of fucking out of Africa. Or any of those other movies, but it solidifies a place, which but is really it, what you should be doing as a cinematographer, right? I don't,
0: know, I don't know if this is the, the quality of the story or the quality of, of of just buying the narrative. But doesn't you feel like the, the, the color, yeah. and, and the brightness is different between the two? Absolutely, like they fucking nineteen fifty five is very read, bright. And I have never read around. the history of, of like or, or, or like the technical aspects of how they shot Back to the Future, I Which try- I should because I've had multiple discs of this. I
2: tried to watch the making of, and it, it's like a 1985 documentary and it's unwatchable.
0: Yeah. Because it's, everyone's it's, just acting, everyone's just 1985 person and just like, nope, nope, I can't do it. But like, if you, you can kind of tell they use different lenses and they can tell they, they yeah. took a lot of effort into like. Doing every minute thing they can so that you don't recognize the changes, but that they're there in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and and they're they're small enough that they're there that 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 you can skip over them, but they they're still there. No,
2: I one hundred percent agree with you. I think it's one of the, if we're analyzing this on like kind of micro level, like the cinematography is um, underappreciated in this movie. You
0: know what I mean, Dean Kundi? If we were both alive. In 1970, and had the full voting power of the Oscars, you would be much more Well,
2: and here's the bummer, I think, for uh, for you and me, is that, like, we weren't... I was
0: three when this movie came out. I was, um, I believe... I was not yet conceived. And I think if you were... I wish our buddy JP was here.
2: Shout out to JP. Um, who was alive at the time and could have said, like, what? Was that your foot again? That's my foot, yeah. Uh, it's like freaking me out. <laughs> I, keep,
0: I keep thinking it's like a ghost or something. Um It's, <laughs> it's the ghost of Stephen King demanding that we not say 112263 is his masterpiece. Oh, because he wants to say Lizzie's story and I can't, I can't do it. He's like, guys, have you read Gerald's Game? No, he
2: wouldn't say that. He'd be like, guys, did you hear I wrote a book called Gerald's Game? I just found out when I got the check for the adap- <laughs> Netflix adaptation in the mail. I don't you know, know why I, they're still doing did checks. Did you know
0: I wrote a sequel to Shining? And they're making a movie about
2: it. And I would say, yes, Stephen King's ghost. We tried to forget. He's like, just reminding you.
0: <laughs> Let us
2: know when you make a thinner sequel.
0: Yeah, um, do it. He should write a new Bachman book. And it should be thinner, too. Yeah. Even, no, thinnest. Thinnest. F- fatter. Thick. Uh, yeah, Thicker. Um, <laughs> T h i c c e r. I'm
2: I'm I'm pro that spelling of that that Richard Bachman book.
0: Um, I don't I forget what I was gonna say. So
2: <laughs> say whatever you want.
0: Um, but no, this is just it's it's technically I don't want to say a masterpiece, but it's so technically sound. Oh yeah, and that's Zemeckis. Zemeckis was like. He's so carefree with his actors, but he feels like he has such like a, a micromanaging level of the technical. Even when his movies suck ass. Yeah, even when his movies are terrible, like Flight is forgotten in every way. Mm-hmm. But like people still talk about the upside down plane flying scene to be mm-hmm. like that's fucking awesome. Like the plane crash scene is still talked about.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it's no, I mean, look, you know, nobody's talking about the, the the Steve Carell movie that came out, uh, Welcome to Marvel. <laughs> Marlin or whatever? Marwin. I mean, he has his movies, but um, there's still, like, a certain sort of level of, like... Well, he commits himself to his work. There's a level of craft
2: that is, like, undeniable. So even if you don't like f- something like Forrest Gump, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, Forrest Gump... But well, didn't
0: you hear know about Forrest Gump guys?
2: No, and I saw Forrest Gump in theaters, and I... Kind of like I like I like, like, Forrest, Gump. Forrest, I like Gump. Forrest
0: Gump I like Forrest just, Gump I but it's just 1994 is such an overwhelming year that you know, it's like just, Forrest Gump was a movie that came out that year
2: yeah and I just like I don't really care you know what I mean yeah like, about anything that's, even I just I can't get emotionally involved in Forrest Gump like there's something about it that makes me incapable of like really like digging into it but is like it the
0: fact that Shin is it the fact not Shin is it, is it the fact that Shawshank Redemption came out you know the same year.
2: No, I mean, yeah. I mean, Shawshank Redemption is a better movie and Pulp Fiction is a better movie and, like, there's, like, a million But In terms of, like, like
0: emotional in investment, like...
2: Well, yeah, because it's Shawshank Redemption is a more honest movie, I guess. Um, you know, the life is like a box of chocolates I've always thought it was like, a stupid thing. I've never understood the mother relationship in Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, you well, know, the idea Sally, that Sally to, Field can't sell it. The, all, the, the idea that she has to sleep with somebody to get him into school is, like, a stupid fucking idea. Like, even in whatever 1990-whatever Alabama... Like, you know, you know, either he goes to school or he doesn't go to school. Nobody fucking cares if Forrest Gump goes to school because they show him going to school for 10 seconds just so they can show, like, the run Forest run and then his shackle's breaking off. I mean, everything, everything in Forrest Gump, and then I don't want to turn this into the Forrest Gump conversation, but everything in Forrest Gump is just a plot vehicle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's only in there to, like, um, as a as a means of showing, like, the next event in his life. Um which sucks. You know what I mean? Which is why like the best parts of that movie are like the really quiet moments when it's not about plot, it's just about you know, the scene that's happening.
0: Um, and but- that's that's the reason why, you know, Alan Servesti did the score to Forrest Gump, but everyone remembers the score to blown away from that year instead.
2: I like blown away.
0: Yeah, no. every time I can bring up I don't remember the score for blown away, but every time I can bring up blown away, I wanna bring it up. Blown Away is a great movie. Blown Away almost came on, almost was on my pivotal film. Blown Away is
2: is an a, a vastly underrated picture.
0: I'm gonna be honest about Blown Away really quick. That um, that Lloyd Bridges park scene fucked me up as a kid.
2: Really? I didn't see Blown Away. Till That's, long that that might
0: be a pivotal pivotal scene. Hmm. I thought I was like, as a young kid, I was like, that could be my dad. I was like, oh because you think it's going to go one way and it doesn't yeah blown away
2: That movies disappeared Jeff Bridges has made a lot of movies that just have like disappeared off the face Forrest of the earth Forrest
0: Whitaker's in that movie people forget about that Forrest Whitaker's in that movie Forrest
2: Whitaker won an Oscar I think people forget about that
0: Yeah, well not, not for his best work but won an Oscar for no it
2: wasn't for Ghost Dog but we got it
0: four years later so that's all that matters is a, it a, a thank you Oscar yeah Thanks for uh, Ghost Dog for us. Buddy. If you want to talk about Blown Away, or you want a 1994 <laughs> action movie list from us, you still haven't heard our 1993, but redid one, and it was it was good. It was good. It was a lot of 1993. We, we forgot a 1993 action movie, ended it to the end of the conversation, and it was a really solid conversation. Mm-hmm. You can uh, tell us that at twitter.com dot slash
2: or you can send us a message at PivotalFilmPodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to PivotalFilm.com and uh, you can contact us through there. Or uh, there's links of how to subscribe and links to our uh, Twitter account. Or you can see list of the Jeff Bridges
0: movies. was 43 when he did blown away. I yeah. thought he was so much younger. No, Man, Jeff old. Bridges. He's only 69 now, but Jeff Bridges looks good. He does look good, yeah. Good job, Jeff Bridges. That's why they gave him an Oscar for Crazy Heart. They're like, you don't look this old. Man, hey, because he had to be, like, just 60 by that time the movie came out. Mm-hmm. He was, like, good... He was, like, sold his age well, then he stops on age. You know what's age. funny is that we don't have enough Jeff Bridges
2: movies on our lists.
0: I love Jeff Bridges, too. Jeff Bridges is easily one of my favorite actors. Me, too. But time. he's
2: just not... Like, the movies he makes are not always right there. Yeah. The Fisher King was almost on my list. I mean, I have... K Pax was almost on my list.
0: I mean I very much have <laughs> I mean I very much I very much we will talk about K Pax I mean way later we could have Starman? Co- I mean re- Starman's great. Fearless? He's nominated for Starman. Yeah, he he got, did get nominated for Starman. But no, we're like way later we'll have a nice Jeff Bridges conversation.
2: Yeah. We'll have several Jeff Bridges conversations. But
0: be... Are we have the same we all have the same, What we do? Okay. Yeah.
2: Um but yeah, until then, watch a Jeff Bridges movie, have a beer,
0: and we'll talk to you next but week. But you can also uh, uh, look at our Pivotal Film podcast at, g- at um, g- gmail.com, and pivotalfilm.com. You I did, did that did, already. Did, did you mention the website? Yeah. I don't think you mentioned the website. I did. I was talking over you about Jeff Bridges. Well, you were just looking, you were researching Jeff Bridges real quick. Oh. Uh, because now we're in it. Now we're in the Jeff Bridges muck in the this what This is what, guys, Hag's great. This is what Hag does to you. It makes you think hard about Jeff Bridges. Which you know is always a good thing. Yeah, no one's complaining. I mean, unless they complain. So like you said, watch a Jeff Bridges movie, drink a sea hag, we'll talk to you next week.